Hello, I'm Mike Fisher, Milwaukee-based theater writer, critic, and dramaturg. And I'm Jen Uphoff Gray, founder and artistic director of Forward Theater Company here in Madison, Wisconsin. And this is Theater Forward, a monthly conversation about theater from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insights into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theater in the Midwest and around the country. Welcome to episode 106 of Theater Forward. This month, we are talking about mentorship, and I'm actually going to hand off to Mike to get us started on this conversation. Well, you know, before um, Jen got the handoff this morning to me, and actually before she came came home to Wisconsin, she spent 12 years uh, in New York uh, honing her craft as a director while working with some of the biggest names in New York at the time. Sam Mendes, who most of us know as a film director, but who also directed an iconic production of Cabaret and with whom Jen also worked on the play The Blue Room. Jen was in the room as the assistant director also uh, with the workshop production of the beginning of Stephen Sondheim's penultimate musical, Roadshow. Uh, and probably most importantly for her and most germane to this conversation, Jen worked extensively and closely with acclaimed British director, Michael uh, Blakemore, whose many accomplishments uh, not only include work as an actor and director and memoirist and novelist, my God, because the man right, um, but uh, also somebody who pulled the probable, nearly impossible double in the year 2000 of winning Tonys, both for director of Best Play, Copenhagen, uh, with whom uh, 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 Jen worked with him on, and also as music uh, director of the musical that year, Kiss Me Kate. He was also Jen's mentor um, during much of the time that uh, they worked together and long after Jen came back to Wisconsin. And that is significant given how many people Jen herself has mentored, including uh, yours truly. Um, Michael died two months ago at age 95. Um, it was a very hard day for Jen, as those of you who follow her on the socials know, and it prompted her not only to think about his role in her life, but for all of us to think about the role of mentoring in theater, which often doesn't get the attention it deserves and which is integral to our survival as a craft. Jen, welcome to this conversation. I know this will be hard for you, but thank you so much for agreeing to do it. Thanks, Mike. You know, this morning when I was thinking about this, I really did not think I was going to get emotional. And I did just listening to you right there. Um, so yes, I may be a, a slightly teary for some of this, but I'm excited to to talk about Michael and what he meant to me and perhaps more broadly what that meant to what that kind of relationship means for our field. Well, maybe we can take it from something which is a little more difficult, the ending, and go back to the beginning. Do you want to tell us how your uh, path and Michael Blakemore's path first crossed? Uh, I would love to. So um, it was while I was in college that I decided I wanted to be a theater director. Um, I think I may have talked before on this podcast. I really thought I was going to be a, a lawyer and um, politician when I left <laughs> Madison to uh, go to Harvard as an undergrad. But um, while I was there, um, I discovered directing, having always loved theater, but not really considered this role within the theater. And uh, the summer between my junior and senior years, I applied for an internship with Richard Frankel Productions. They were a small off-Broadway producing company. They, in the years since, became a much bigger uh, entity and pr produced a lot of Broadway shows. But at the time, they were really focused on smaller off-Broadway productions, and they had a position for a summer intern. And I thought, what a great way to learn 
um, about the, the commercial theater and the New York theater world. Um, and because it was such a small shop, their, uh, their summer intern got to um, have a lot of different experiences. So uh, I, I got that position. I spent the summer in New York City working for them. And um, it was a great chance for them to get to know me. And I think it was, um, uh, it was a really good relationship because they actually sent some staff up that following um, school year to see my thesis production of Love's Labor's Lost um, that I produced at the Loeb Drama Center um, in Cambridge. Uh, and so when I moved to New York in um, the summer of 1993 after graduating, uh, they were excited that I was there and started immediately thinking about um, uh, ways that they could get me uh, jobs on some of the shows they were producing. And um, so my first official assistant directing gig was uh, supporting uh, Christopher Ashley on the off-Broadway production of Das Barbecue, a musical retelling of Wagner's Ring Cycle with an incredible cast, including J.K. Simmons, who played Votan. Um, I can sing you that entire score someday <laughs> oh my if God. anybody wants. All the songs about barbecue <laughs> and guacamole, I'm telling you. Um, but that was a great experience. And, um, and Richard Frankel Productions continued to look for opportunities to, um, to help me build my career. So when they were um, getting ready to begin rehearsals for the off-Broadway production Death Defying Acts, um, which was three one-act plays by David Mamet, Elaine May, and Woody Allen, Oh my God. Uh, which Michael Blakemore was directing, they set up an interview for me with Michael um, to be his assistant on that. Um, and, and he hired me. So that was the start. So, and then subsequently you would work in the, the two I, I know most about um, are, are obviously your, your work on The Life, the Cy Coleman um, mm -hmm. musical as his assistant director in 1997, and then Copenhagen as his assistant director for which he would then go on to become the, the director of the national tour. Yeah. Um, what was it like working with him on product? I mean, what was he like in the room and why did the, what, the way he approached his craft as a director resonate with you so strongly? I he was a delight in the room. People loved him. Um, the, the, the younger emerging actors, the seasoned professionals, um, people from all different backgrounds, um, they really loved him uh, because he was, I don't, so he spent his career in England, but he grew up in Australia. And I think in a lot of ways he combined um, uh, some of the stereotypical personality traits of those two nationalities. Um, he, he had this wonderful gentlemanly quality that I think I would associate with the, his British um, residency, but he, he had an incredibly dry sense of humor and could match an informality to that gentlemanliness that I, 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 I really love. So that was kind of his general, um, Mien in the room, but as a as a director, I I so appreciated how um, calm he was. Even when I knew as his assistant, sometimes he wasn't feeling calm because then I would get to have some of those debriefing conversations where I would get to see just how not calm he might be about a particular um, situation. But in the rehearsal room, he was calm. He was supportive. He was insightful. Um, he always had a clear plan 
but gave the performers room to be creative, to bring other ideas to the table. I also, as his assistant, and I, I have very strong opinions about the assistant and director relationship because I was an assistant for so many different directors early in my career and have had assistants um, in, in, my, in my own directing rooms. He was so inclusive of me in his process in that he let me see what he was thinking. He let me participate and observe the conversations that he was having, obviously in different levels when he was having you know, a, a, a strategy session with Woody Allen in the back of his limousine. I wasn't participating in that conversation, but he had me sitting in the car with them so that I could hear it, both to be a second set of ears and a note taker and a, and a resource to him, but also so that I could really see and hear all the things he was seeing and hearing as he was working on a play. Again, it was mutually beneficial because I think I was a better assistant to him because I knew all of the different things he was thinking about and juggling, but it truly let me have this comprehensive experience and this comprehensive view into what he had to deal with as the director of a show at this level. And I have had other experiences as an assistant where I was in the rehearsal room, but I was never sort of brought into side conversations. I was never brought into design meetings. and. Um, and that was a less beneficial experience, I think, for me and for the director, because I wasn't as included. And so that generosity with Michael um, is something that I, uh, I just got so much out of that. And I'm so grateful. And it extended beyond the official work of the plays in that, um, you know, the working on a show, a commercial show in New York, you would sometimes have previews for not just weeks, but sometimes more than a month. And what that meant is a lot of days where you were rehearsing all afternoon and then you'd have two hours off for a dinner break and then you'd come back for the show to watch and take notes that night. And almost every one of those days, Michael and I would go out to dinner and we would talk about his career, his experiences, how things were going, all of that. And it, yeah, it was an entire grad school education. Well, yeah, it's the, um, for listeners that the only time I've ever heard our August Jen Opoff Gray referred to as Jenny, uh, is in a New Yorker article that Michael Blakemore wrote about his experience on a production in which Jen was serving as assistant director and they were having a plate of spaghetti together to yes. your point about dinner. Uh, he was having a plate of spaghetti with Jenny talking over the show. I got to say from my own experience in the room with you, Jen, not as your assistant director, but as your dramaturg, everything you've just said brings so true to how unbelievably inclusive you were in allowing me into your thought process, even when some of my ideas were completely wackadoodle or had <laughs> no room within the context of what you were trying to do. But you listened, you made me feel included. I always felt empowered by those conversations. And I learned so much about just the psychology of working with people from watching uh, both in theater and in life and from watching those conversations. It was a huge education for me. H how did your sense of director change from when you first started working with Michael, or maybe even if you want to take it further back from when you were first in New York, your idea of what it meant to be a director, how did he help that evolve into the director you are now? I mean, we think of you as this is Jen Opoff Gray. This is the person we've known in Wisconsin for a long time. It feels like a constant, even though, of course, 
incrementally, it's always evolving in ways we can't see. But but what were you like? What was the young Jenna Buff Gray directing A Love's Labor's Lost or her first moments in New York like compared to now? And how did Michael change that for you? Oh, gosh, it's, it, it's an excellent question that I, I hope I can even remember. It feels like so long ago, but I, <laughs> I know that I was insecure for sure. Um, I know that I... Um, I thought that the director had to know everything as you went into the room, um, which of course contributed to the insecurity because there's no way to know everything as you go into the room. And I, um, so I worried all the time about what would I do about X, Y, or Z thing that might come up? Um, how was I going to stage something? How was I going to work with the designers? How was I going to make sure that I was honoring the script? How was I going to deal with the inevitable and appropriate emotions that come into a room when you're dealing with a whole bunch of artists whose job is to channel emotion in telling a story? Um, uh, and I, I mean, I was smart. Sure. I understood the plays. I knew why I wanted to tell these stories. You know, I had, I had decent people skills, um, but I, I could get twisted in knots worrying about needing to know everything. And I think the biggest thing that I learned from Michael was how to balance the need to be prepared, the need to be calm, the need to be a leader in a room with the reality that you can't know anything and the reality that you shouldn't know everything because the other people are going to be, bring some better ideas into the room than you had. And how to do that in a way that doesn't feel like a free-for-all, where nobody's in charge and nobody knows where this is going, but to, um, to find that balance, because the balance is critical. A free-for-all is not good, and a dictatorial process where you come in and you just tell everybody what to do is also not good. And I think he modeled that so beautifully. I, I think that my when I try to take a you know, a thousand foot view of the way that I work, which I spent some time thinking about after Michael passed, uh, truly. I think the way that I work in a room is what I learned from Michael. I do think my, my style of putting something on a stage of what a production looks like might've been a bit more influenced by Sam Mendes, who I, again, you know, as you mentioned, I worked with him as assistant and then associate director on um, the 1998 Cabaret, but then also on the Blue Room um, a couple of years later. Um, visually, I think my shows might be more similar to the kind of work that Sam was doing. And that also makes sense because generationally, I'm closer, you know, Sam was uh, 10 years or so older than me. Michael was 40 some years older than me. Um, but the way I, work with people was incredibly um, influenced by, shaped by my experiences watching Michael. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it's funny when I think about just from things I've read about uh, Sam's directorial style, it has much more of that perfectionist streak in it in terms of how people are placed and how they are on a, on a stage in relation to what you're describing. Um, I want to read you a quote, which I think captures, this is from Michael Blakemore's stage blood, the second of two memoirs he wrote, which for our audience, I can't, I only know about these books because Jen long ago passed them on to me as books I should read. The first is Arguments with England, which traces his transition from Australia to Britain and then up through the period when he was just getting ready to start 
being associated with the National Theater. And the second very juicy uh, follow-up is Stage Blood, which is about his years as Laurence Olivier's number two uh, at the National Theater and the sort of struggle, power struggles that went on as it was clear Olivier was going to be exiting at some point soon. But he says a director has to harbor two warring identities, a selfless concern for the talented people with whom he is entrusted and who look to him for leadership him or her, we should say. And on the other hand, the steely egotism that has prompted him to seek out this particular job in the first place. That sounds like what you're describing in terms of on the one hand, you need to have a vision. You're, you're sort of the hub at the, you know, with the spokes of the wheel going out from it, but the wheel doesn't turn without those spokes. You need it mm-hmm. all together with you having enough of a sense of yourself to, to lead, which I guess raises another question for me about where we are with directing right now. And this kind of slides over into mentoring. It feels like partly because we have people who, when they do exercise authority in theater or elsewhere, can be such tyrannical slobs about it, that there's a tendency to go to the opposite extreme, to react against that abuse of authority on our political or artistic stages by shying away from the idea of authority altogether. Um, and I guess the question is, how do you wrestle, both as a mentor to others, now that that's become a role in your life and as a director, with the need to both assert authority on the one hand, while being aware of all the things you could learn from the others in the room or the mentees with whom you're mentoring on the other? I, I think it's a, a learned, I think it's a learned skill set, like almost anything else. I I, I feel like I... I feel like I've gotten better at it as I've gone along and I still have, you know, more growing and and learning and improving to do. It's not, I think, a process that's ever finished. But I I think like any other skill that you need in this job or any job, it's something you have to to work at and just try to improve. And um, I am confident that in my career, I've had shows where I wasn't sort of strong and firm enough and shows where I um, was too strong or firm, right? It, that, that, that balance, that, that perfect synergy that one hopes for where you're a leader, but you're a leader that's essentially just providing an opportunity for everybody to do their best work. And just your job is making sure that, the, that everybody's best work kind of fits together into a cohesive whole. Um, that's, that's always what you aspire to. And I think the what I try to do is be reflective after every production and, and think about where, where did we succeed and where might we have done better on that balance and, and then try to carry that into the, into the next one. Um, but I, I think it's something anybody can do if, if, if you are aware that that's the goal, right? That, and you just try to get, try to get better and better at it. Cause I do think the best productions come when that balance has been hit. And it's interesting the, the way you phrased it, Mike got me thinking about some of the broader conversations happening in our field over the last couple of years, again, because there are so many abuses and I'm thinking now maybe more at the artistic director level than the director in a room level. And um, that because there have been numerous examples of, of sort of tyrannical, um, uh, non-inclusive leadership, 
I've seen theaters trying to do away with the artistic director model and say, we're just going to have a whole committee that's going to run the company or, and that, that may work. I think that's a, that's a tough, that's a tough way to run, <laughs> run any, any business. And of course, theater companies are businesses, even if they're nonprofits and, and have all kinds of other um, end goals. And I, I keep thinking about the fact that there's, there's always a middle ground. You know, I sometimes, I, I think forwards, operational model where um, we do have an artistic director who has to make some decisions, but the artistic director is not just um, overseen by a board, but by our advisory company that does provide a lot of different perspectives that have to be taken into account in decision-making. Um, I think allows for the, it, it puts roadblocks to keep our company from becoming one in which you could have dictatorial leadership, but also allows for um, leadership. <laughs> and decision-making um, in a way that I think is uh, a, can be a big challenge if you have uh, a much more amorphous leadership structure. And so um, as, as in most things in life, I think the sweet spot tends to be when you're balancing competing concerns rather than going all the way in one direction or the other. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think you've you've described the the forward I know uh, really well, and one of the things that I think makes it makes it special. Um, what is the relationship for you as you've moved further into your career now, and where you're doing mentoring as well as I'm sure still learning from people who you know who were important to you in the past? Um, what is the relationship between directing? Um, and mentoring. And there's that same sort of balance between yin and yang necessary in terms of how you, in terms of how you mentor somebody so that they grow without being overwhelmed. Yeah. Like, like everything else, it's something I, I, um, I think I'm getting better at. Uh, I am I, certainly because I came up as a director through the assistant director mentorship model instead of the MFA and directing model. Um, I think I would like to think that even very early in my career, when, that when I had assistants, that I was, uh, I was trying to be inclusive to give them an experience of, of being, you know, part of conversations, having the opportunity to learn. Not, it's not just a go get me a coffee <laughs> kind of a position, which it can be, um, because I, because I had experienced different versions of that. And certainly I, I, I do think even with the very first assistance that I had, that I, I, I was trying to make sure they had a, a good educational experience and one where they were treated with respect and inclusion. But, uh, but I too have had to learn how to balance thinking about that person in the room. How do you provide an opportunity for them to learn? How do you provide space for them to ask questions and get clarity on why I, as the director, am making certain decisions, because that's really helpful as you grow as a director. Even if you decide when you're observing the director you're assisting and they tell you why they did something and you're like, cool, I, I know I would make a different decision. That is, that is just as good learning <laughs> as saying, I want to do it just like you did. Um, so providing those opportunities and doing it in a way that balances the fact that if, if, if I'm a director and I have an assistant director, I have a responsibility to that person to, to give them a, a good experience, to help them learn, to help them grow in their career. My primary responsibility is to get the show up in its best possible form. 
And sometimes that's an easy balance and sometimes it isn't. Um, and it's, it's not, I'm not, I wouldn't say that that's the, the, the fault of whoever the assistant is. It's just that some people, sometimes I have an assistant who needs more for me than I am able to give. And, and I, um, or have time to give in yeah. the, in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. And I, um, uh, and I, I can get anxiety about that still because I, I really want to serve that assistant to the best of my possible ability. Um, again, cause I've been that person and I've been in that seat and at the same time, it cannot be my number one responsibility while I'm putting up a show. And sometimes it works really well and sometimes it doesn't work as well. Um, but I keep trying. I think that honestly, um, what gave me a lot more confidence as a mentor was having an incredibly positive mentoring experience, um, with Jake Penner, who, you know, has been on this podcast before we talked about him. Jake was the first assistant that I had at forward who came back to me after the first experience and said, can I assist you on another show? There's still some other things I want to learn. And I had, was feeling really conflicted about that because I was like, I don't know that we're paying you enough money to, for me to feel okay about you putting in all this work for a second show. Um, but, but he talked me into it. And um, that second experience started to give me some insight into perhaps what Michael's and my relationship might've been like, or what my relationship with Sam, because I did assist both of them on more than one show and realizing, Oh, right. When the person comes back for a second show, they know you better, you know, them better. You have more of a shorthand and this becomes an exponentially more valuable experience for both people involved. Um, and I, I got so much out of having Jake in many rooms with me as my assistant and then associate director. Um, I, I know, I mean, he, I know that he grew as a director because of the experience and became the incredible director he is now. And we've hired him many times to direct his own shows here at forward. And he's directed at APT and is going to have an incredible career that will probably far surpass mine. Um, but, but seeing how that relationship expanded professionally artistically over those multiple shows um, gave me more confidence as a mentor. And I think I've been a better mentor to future assistants as a result. And it did make me think again, back to Sam and Michael and to be able to start to think about the ways in which I know I did make those productions that I was an assistant on better in small ways, in small supportive ways, but I could reflect back and go, Oh yeah, because I knew what they were going for. I knew what they wanted to accomplish. And I was an extra set of eyes in the room that could start to spot things because one set of eyes in the room can never see everything that's happening at once. And that's right. one of the many benefits of having an assistant who knows you and understands what you're going for because they can spot other things and become a, a real assistant in helping, helping to address, address problems that can be easily solved. Um, so I can look back at individual moments in all of those shows and go, oh yeah, I did that little thing. There was, a, there was one line, one line reading in the life that one actor had that no matter how many times Michael gave a note on that line, it, it never landed. It was a punchline. 
never landed. And I kept listening and going, I think I know the note to give. I think I know the right note that will be understood, right? And I remember going to Michael at one point and going, I think this is the note. I think that note would work. And he's like, well, you go give it. And I went and gave it. And I saw that show dozens and dozens of times over its, you know, over one year run. And every time I heard that line, I felt just a little bit of pride. I solved that. That that line gets a laugh because of me, you know. Um, and and it, it's to Michael's credit that he was that kind of director that he, I knew enough about what he wanted that I could understand what he was trying to accomplish. And he was confident enough that he wasn't didn't feel threatened that I came up with the idea that wound up working. And uh, yeah, I still think about that. And I try to um, think about that. You know, if I have an assistant director and I've been struggling with something and they say to me, I think this might be the note that gets you there. I either ask them to go give the note, or if that's not for whatever reason, the, 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 the right framework, I'll say, Hey, you guys, you know, and I'll name my assistant. Hey, they came up with the idea. Try this. Um, yeah, I've, I've I've certainly seen that. It's it's it's. I'm I'm glad you mentioned um, Jake Penner, uh, who posted beautifully on the socials after Michael passed, saying words that you know Jake writes so well. He said it better than I could have, but the, the sentiment was the same. Is that he said? I feel like I know Michael Blake more because. Because anybody who um, who mentored my mentor as well as he did, meaning you, Jen, is somebody who I understand on some level because of the way in which that mentoring has then been paid forward to me. So let's talk about paying forward. I know how just in general important that is to you and not just because it's our company's name. Hmm. Um, what in terms of forward theater as an institution, what do you hope it can offer above and beyond what you specifically are doing in the room on a particular show, how are you hoping that Forward as an institution can foster the kind of mentoring relationships, the kind of paying at Forward that you've been describing so beautifully in terms of your own relationship, both with the past, with Michael, and the future with Jake? I, I think that we've tried to do a lot of different things as a company that pay it forward um, throughout these last 15 years. Maybe not specifically in the mentor. I mean, I've tried to have assistance wherever I could, and and we've you know we've we've got our La Follette High School mentorship, you know, adopt a school program to help those students, and we've we've worked with the First Wave program. I mean, we've have have had a lot of different programs to specifically bring young artists, emerging artists, in to work with our company. Um, but I I think the through line that I would track, inspired by your question, is that. I have a career because some artists in the field and some producers, when I think about Richard Frankel Productions, going back to the beginning of this conversation, thought that having young people coming in to observe and be a part of a production is valuable. Now, obviously it's valuable in some very concrete ways, like someone's gonna run and make the photocopies, someone's gonna get the coffee, someone's gonna, yes, there are those ways in which having interns, um, assistance um, help what you're doing. But let's be honest, I think it's, at least if it's done right, it is typically a more beneficial experience for the person who's interning or assisting. It should be anyway, because it's helping them learn and grow. 
And that is always a, a pay it forward situation because it's not that that person's necessarily going to come back and work for you, but it hopefully is building the field. It's building the pool of people. And I think all companies are trying to pay it forward in that way. I do think we've been good here at Forward at trying to think of things that we can do to benefit the broader theater community that may or may not benefit us in the short term. And whether that's um, world premiere Wisconsin and trying to support building relationships through different companies or um, our Wisconsin Brights program to, to help playwrights or any of those things. Um, but I have, I will say for a really long time, I've been wanting to figure out how to better support directors in Wisconsin beyond just occasionally having an assistant myself. Um, and how can we, how can we provide pathways to education, networking, and, um, and employment for people who want to be directors in our state without those people having to leave Wisconsin to get that education? Because there's almost no directing um, higher education programs left in the state. There are very few assistant directing opportunities just because there aren't that many professional theaters in this state. And those that do, some have assistant directors, some don't. Some of those are paid, some aren't. Regardless, there's not that much out there. And I, I really, that was cemented for me when we, um, a few years ago, decided to start having an open application, you know, paid assistant director position um, for all of the shows that I was directing it forward. And so many people applied. So many people applied you know, tenfold beyond what I could hire. And so that's what led to us announcing last month that, um, that we're starting Wisconsin Directors Lab, that the first one will be in January of 2025. It's going to, at least it's going to start out as a two-day jam-packed session, um, open to anybody in the state who is interested in learning more as a director, whether it's someone who wants to become a professional um, uh, theater director, whether it's someone who is um, ha has a different career but directs frequently at the community theater level and wants more skill sets, wants to know what's what's what are the latest topics in the field of directing, or someone who who works in a high school or works in a college directing shows and wants um, to broaden their skill set and and broaden their education. Um, to, this lab is going to be open to all of the above. We have wonderful hosts. Um, in Madison College, which we, we purposely approached them because we knew they have a lot of space. And if a lot more people register for this than we think, <laughs> we can expand to include them. Um, it's going to be uh, two days packed with uh, panel discussions on career building, breakout sessions on all different kinds of aspects of director's work, open rehearsals led by master directors from across the state, um, that people can wander in and out of to see directors with different approaches doing work in a room with actors. It's also an opportunity for me to pay a whole bunch of working directors to come and be on panels or lead breakout sessions and a chance for all of us to get together and just talk with each other. I'm, I'm always hungry to talk with other directors, whether it's at a coffee shop or a bar over a drink. What do we think about this thing that's happening in our field? What do we think about this other thing that's happening in our field? What are you finding? What are you struggling with? What is a success story? And to create an environment where we can all be together and, 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 and learn from each other. I always learn from assistants. I, I think they learn from me. Um, and so uh, 
I'm, I'm really, I've wanted to start this lab for many, many years. I was a member of the Lincoln Center Directors Lab um, back in the 90s for two different years, learned so much from it. I know that there have been offshoots of the lab um, in Chicago, in Toronto, in LA um, over the decades since. Um, and I, I have really wanted to create something like that here uh, in Wisconsin for, for many years. I'm so happy as we still work to come out of this pandemic that we feel like as a company, we've got the capacity to add this extra project um, to our plates. Um, I can't wait for this first lab to happen until then learn from it and figure out how we want to evolve the lab in future seasons. I certainly see it as a recurring program probably every other year. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm so excited and I'm committed to then hiring assistant directors for Forward who have gone through the lab. Um, and so um, folks who will come in with, with a, a clear picture of, you know, what this might be like and are ready to make the most of the experience. Um, yeah, it's, uh, this is something we were preparing to announce when, when Michael passed. And um, yeah, it felt extra meaningful to me. In that I'm, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps. I'm sorry. Listeners, can you understand why in my last article on World Premiere Wisconsin, I wrote, speaking of Jen, she's done more than any other theater maker in my life to expand my vision of what theater can be. It's a rhetorical question. Um, Jen, is there anything that I have not touched on or talked about that, that because I'm sort of so verklempt right now listening to you, I'm not sure I can ask another coherent question. Is there anything you've left, I've left out and what I've asked that you'd like to share or talk about, about Michael, about directing, mentoring? I mean, not unless we're going to stay here for another two hours. <laughs> so I can just share all of the Michael stories. Um, the, the, the people he introduced me to the experiences I got to have, like spending two hours on the phone with a New Yorker magazine fact checker <laughs> for that article you referenced earlier where he, you know, um, described the experiences he had because he, the, what he published was a diary of his experiences directing death defying acts and all of these behind the scenes stories with Woody Allen and David Mamet and Elaine May and those actors. And because I was actually present for most of them, I mean, spending time with a New Yorker fact, fact checker is a, a life bucket list <laughs> Of an experience. We've done that play. Because of, because of Michael, you know, getting to go to a Tony Awards, you know, um, after party because of Michael, you know, getting to um, to direct the national tour of Copenhagen because of Michael and to work with actors like that, um, to learn about the value of having a stage combat expert come to your rehearsal room because on the life we didn't. We didn't have um, someone help us with those stage combat scenes because there were a couple of moments of violence in that musical. And at our very first preview, the violent scenes got laughs. And the very next day, Michael had the top stage combat guy on Broadway in our rehearsal room and fixed it immediately. And I learned that being in that room with Michael, seeing how he handled that situation. You know, he and I sat next to each other in so many performances of, of Broadway shows. And I just listened to him whispering in my ear, this note, that note, this note, that note. And to see a show through his eyes was the best possible education I could have ever had. Oh, 
Well, you know, uh, listeners, I'm not going to I'm not going to be here to hear it or see it. But I look forward to the day somewhere down the line where somebody like Jake Penner or somebody who's now in La Follette High School or somebody who's, who's maybe not even born yet has the opportunity um, to keep Michael Blakemore's spirit alive by talking about Jen, who embodies so many of Michael Blakemore's values in the way that we today have been able to share uh, something with you of what Michael Blakemore was like uh, for her. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. I think there's nowhere to go after <laughs> after this. So let's 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 call it. Uh, I'm Mike Fisher, and this has been Theater Forward. Our podcast is produced by Scott Hayden, and you can follow us or share your thoughts on Facebook. As always, it's Theater Forward with an ER. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, and please leave a comment. We would love to hear from you, uh, especially if you have a mentorship story. I would love to hear it. And uh, we're so grateful to have you listening and we'll be back soon for another Theater Forward conversation. 